Good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us, Meow. Um, just like the movies, we're here to... <laughs> <laughs> as as you might have heard on the last episode, we decided to keep the comedy train rolling. I don't know. I don't know what Johnny's going to pick for the next one, so we'll see how that goes. But we're here to talk about a uh, a, a very uh, probably the one of the textbook definitions of cult classic from the early two thousands, and that would be Broken Lizards, Super Troopers, and uh, what this movie has always fascinated me because. I remember the first time I saw this in the theater because it was recommended to me by a few people. And I just remember the first time I saw it, just like Orgasmo, I hated it. I, I don't know why. I just, I didn't get it or what, I don't know what, maybe I was just in a fucked up mood that day. I don't really know what was going on. But then I saw it a couple months later when it came out on home video. And I think I was watching it with people. And because when I saw it in the theater, it was by myself. When I think when I saw it with people, it was like a little different. I, I just jumped right into it because that was kind of my thoughts. I did not do what I usually do to ask my co-host because I understand we were talking a little bit just to, before we got started. Johnny, how you doing, man? You, were, you, were, you went international. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I was over in London for Star Wars Celebration. It's the massive convention that uh, Disney and Lucasfilm and Repop put on. Uh, for that particular movie franchise and uh, did a live podcast there, which went over really well. Uh, so I was really proud about that. Uh, but a bunch of people did who listened to the Resistance broadcast also listened to Just Like the Movies and they wanted to send you their regards because they said uh, that uh, our podcast also helps them get through their weeks and stuff like that. So I uh, just wanted to pass that along to you because... People were are digging just like the movies, so uh, I just want to let you know that some people sung your praises. And, oh, uh, go on then. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, I can, <laughs> trust me. But I did come home with a parting gift, which was the British version of COVID-19. Oh, man. So I'm collecting all the Infinity Stones. I got my North American one, I got my European one, and we'll see what happens next. And how, how, did, how did the English or British COVID compare to American COVID? I mean... It, I, I think it hit me a little harder than when I had the COVID a couple of years ago. But it was still like I had a fever for one day. They got up to like 102.7. Um, I just, you know, a lot of fatigue and stuff. And the the eye of the storm was pretty much a 24-hour type of situation. And then the, out, uh, the bookends were a little bit of, you know, getting there with the achiness and feeling like you're get, coming down with something. And then on the back end, it's just your body sort of trying to bounce back from all the coughing and all that stuff. So um, I'm at 99%. I'm, I'm pretty much feeling all the way better now. So happy oh, to report. Good. Yeah, happy to report that. Happy to be here with you, my friend. Mm. We both had uh, a couple of trips. You went down to see family in South Carolina. Yes, and, I did. And uh, here we are back together again to talk about a movie that came out uh, about a year after we started hanging out. And right in, you know, you, you can tell watching this movie, you know, this is made for 18 to 24 year old men. And we were dead in the heart of that demographic when it came out. Um, interesting for you to say that you didn't like it at first. I, I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but the opening scene, was that released early uh, as sort of a way to pull people in? Because I remember seeing... The uh, can't pull over anymore, and I know it might have been in the trailer and stuff, but I th I think it was from the trailer because okay. that opening scene was like I don't think they did that back then. I don't think they released whole scenes like like when they did that I with the Dark so Knight. I remember they they released that first yeah. six minute scene, yeah, to like whet I, people's appetite for it. 
Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I agree. So, so I was like racking my brain, like, like could have sworn I saw the beginning because this movie, like, the the opening scene might be the best part of the movie, and it's just because you've never really seen anything like it. These cops just completely fucking with people, um, <laughs> in, in a in a comedic way, um, and I remember it sticking with me as to how original it felt, and especially like seeing these faces and not knowing who they are like it would have been a lot different if it was like jack black and steve zahn or whoever else was bopping around in the early 2000s ben affleck for comedy oh ben affleck mel gibson you know the usuals <laughs> but no it's these guys who i'd never heard of uh that wind up being this broken lizard uh troop that's sort of following the footsteps of maybe a monty python to a lesser extent and and, uh, you know, uh, the improv groups of Chicago and Second City and that type of stuff. But here they are making this movie and uh, somehow they get uh, an established actor like Brian Cox to, to come on board, which uh, it maybe adds a little stability to the performances, which we'll get into. But overall, it's uh, it's a fun comedy. I enjoyed my rewatch. Definitely remembered a lot of when around it came out. I'm pretty sure I did see this in the theater. Uh, was probably, uh, I think it was 18 when it came out in college so I, I think that makes sense that i saw this but uh a, a fun movie to watch maybe a little long for a comedy especially of this ilk but uh i still had a good time on the rewatch i mean it's only an hour 40 minutes yeah that's a maybe, deep, that's a that's a deep buck 40 this thing could have been 119 <laughs> maybe i don't know because like when i was watching because i've seen this movie so many times and one of the things I noticed this time, like many of the movies that we do on this podcast, I've watched a lot. It's, it's Unless we're doing like Raiders of the Lost Ark for some reason. I, that's like some classic that I never watched all the way through. Mm-hmm. But um, like this movie was, you know, you've got these guys. It's it's kind of interesting when you look at the history because you, you mentioned, yeah, they're a comedy troupe. And they, you know, they build it as a broken lizard film. And you don't even find out who directs it till the closing credits. And then you realize that it's the guy who played Ramathor and Jay Chandra Sakar who uh, over the years has taken on a lot of commercial directing gigs. Like he worked on Arrested Development. He directed that Dukes of Hazzard live action movie. And he was the guy, these guys all went to the same school. They all went to Colgate in upstate New York. And uh, I think they were in the same fraternity as well. And uh, anyway, the the guy who played Thorny, because I don't don't want to keep butchering his uh, compound Indian surname. um, I thought he he did a good job. Yeah, he was the uh, he was the founder of them. So he like he wanted to put together a comedy troupe, and it's kind of fun. I read a bunch of articles trying to get prepared for this because there's not really a lot of information about the movie outside of that. Because mm-hmm. you know it was for what it was, it was a success. You know, it was made on a very small budget. Um, it made something like twenty three million at the box office, but then it went on to make like three or four times that on home video yeah. over the years. Uh, Kevin Hefferton, the guy who plays Farva, he said that uh, Fox Searchlight, who distributed the movie and paid for the distribution rights, that they said that their home video numbers were on par with their blockbuster hits in the office, in the in the box office. It was pretty crazy to me. Yeah, but uh, it, when, you, when you think about that as a background, it kind of makes sense that these guys were, they were all this very like-minded individuals going to the same school. So they had, they're roughly the same intellectual level of aptitude. They all have the same interest because they all wanted to be in a comedy troupe. Interesting side note, one of the guys who auditioned to be in the comedy troupe but didn't make it was a guy named Ted Griffin who wrote Ocean's Eleven, among other things. Oh, 
Yeah. Well, at least things worked out for him, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that like, and you mentioned like the mod, like in the, in the influence of Monty Python, something like that, you know, the, and then these guys, they, they, the kind of inspiration for this movie, cause they had done a movie before this called Puddle Cruiser, which they shot in and around their university and it didn't get it was on the festival circuit but it didn't get like a wide scale distribution so they felt like they were close to breaking into hollywood but they didn't really and you mentioned the opening and they thought the puddle the the puddle cruiser opening was like the weakest part of the movie so that was the first thing that they addressed when they were doing this one and so just picture that you've got a comedy written by five guys that are ostensibly friends even though i guess uh, the actors who played farva and mac didn't like each other at first which is kind of funny mm-hmm. and they're the ones that actually do a ton of work together now like they're both on uh, this show called tacoma fd right. which is basically like super troopers but it's in a fire department and it's in a tv show <laughs> right. it's on tv rather than a movie but uh yeah they uh you've got these guys and they write all these like they have all these stories from going on road trips together and like one of the premises was they got pulled over a lot i guess and they would always be high and somehow they never got arrested and they just came up with this idea like what if like because they just thought man these cops could have fucked with us so bad yeah. if they wanted to if they knew what was going on right. but then like they got the like the kind of the basic foundations for this movie was what if we did a movie about cops but they were like bored it was like a bored workplace comedy and the cops like have a sense of humor so they do pranks and stuff I mean, yeah, and and that it, it it definitely plays, and it was unique because I think the only thing that I could think of that'd be closer close to it is like Police Academy, which was, you know, it came out while we were around, but it was definitely bef- like the generation before us is like m- like cop spoof, so I think it was time for a new one, and having it be these sort of like local stadies versus the town cops and. Um, like pretty basic plot that is easy to follow. And, you know, it's definitely one of those movies where you don't need to focus too hard. If you like lose track or you start daydreaming or something, you can just like zip right back into it. Uh, It's an easy watch. And a lot of it has more to do with seeing how these five guys who put this movie together had that chemistry. That's pretty organic because they've been around the block and they've come through together and they're all in this moment with this like potential first breakthrough movie together and we're getting to see that um but i think that's what makes this a good comedy is that you could tell that these five guys definitely do click and i also like i said at the top i like the fact that they are when i see them now they're the super troopers to me um whereas opposed to it being a familiar actor i don't know that i would have liked it as much so I, I liked and w- which mistakes that they probably made in in the sequel where you know you see like uh, Stifler and you know whoever else like popping up but Will Sasso uh, Rob yeah, Lowe yeah yeah exactly yeah so and and I I didn't I don't think I watched the entire sequel and I don't know that I have all that much interest in doing that and I've heard that they're working on a third so I don't know what the deal is with that but for this one it all seemed to work um, and. It was in the hotbed of the buying DVD era because I certainly bought a ton of DVDs between, you know, 99 and 2004. And, you know, I think a lot of things really lent their success to DVD sales because DVDs were relatively inexpensive compared to their VHS counterparts before them because they cost more to make, that being VHSs. 
um you could buy you know a new movie back then depending on what it was for like nine bucks so i could totally see them making that so your point about them earning back via the dvd sales uh i think is great and again it goes back to that you know conversation that matt damon had on hot ones where maybe this movie um tanks today because there aren't dvd sales and maybe a streaming service doesn't pick it up if it doesn't have a good return so there's definitely a lot of that to it but back in 2001 i mean dvds were selling and uh that's probably a part of the reason why we're still talking about this movie today yeah, so you, you said you did see this in the theater, or you don't exactly remember? I don't remember seeing it in the theater, but uh, I, that's can, all right. I can definitely see having seen it in the theater because of when it came out, and I remember hearing about it as it came out, watching the trailer and having interest in like these cops messing with these kids because we were of those kids' age, you know? And just seeing... You know, that character actor kid who I've seen bop around in a bunch of stuff. His name's Je- Jeffrey Ar- Arend. Yeah, Arend. dude, he's married to Christina Hendricks. You believe that shit? That's wi- yeah, that's <laughs> wild in itself. I don't know if he could handle that much soap, but apparently he can. Uh, I don't think she would have married him if he couldn't. Yeah, that, and that's fair. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've seen him in 500 Days of Summer, and he pops up now and again in different stuff. But uh, I see him in this and he's like housing ounces of weed, mushrooms and stuff like I'd be probably brain dead if I did that. So, I, you know, I thought it was funny how, how to the extremes that they take it. But I enjoy the movie, man. But the intro, I got to say, like it just kicks this thing off in a high gear and lets you know, like, this is the kind of movie this is going to be. Um, but I don't know that the rest of the movie lives up to the craziness of that opening scene. It doesn't have to. But one of the best opening scenes for a comedy, in my opinion. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think the uh, the they started off with their strongest bit, but then the movie kind of settles into... It kind of shows that these guys are... One of the points they wanted to get across was that the cops in this movie, they're, they're good. They're not necessarily dumb, like Farva is, but generally speaking, they're not like... They just don't have anything to do. So they do this stuff, and they kind of bend the rules a little bit because they're bored. You right. know, they're... And then, like, you know, one of the subplot elements was that the, the you know, the station's going to be made redundant because, you know, they're, they're these this small police force and they patrol this stretch of highway. I don't know if they ever really say in the movie, but it's got to be, like, a giant stretch of highway. So they're not really... And they still don't really have anything to do. Um, yeah, right. But uh, you mentioned Police Academy. I thought that was interesting because... These guys claim that Police Academy really... Like, a lot of them said they hadn't even seen it. And that a lot of people kind of make that connection of that they were more inspired by Smokey and the Bandit. Um, and... Yeah, I can see that. I wasn't sitting here saying that I think that they right, right, right. took a it page just... from Police Academy, Police Academy. But in terms of movies that sort of lampoon, uh, you know, becoming cops and being cops, I, those are the two I could think of. Um, and Police Academy, you know, the first one came out like mid 80s. So. Um, definitely, you know, before our sort of watching time. I think, but, I think the original Police Academy came out in 82. Yeah, 80, I think so. Like early yeah. 80s. Because I think like, by the late 80s, they were up to like number five where they go yeah. to like Hawaii or something. So, yeah. yeah, they started putting Bobcat Goldthwait in them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like by the time like Gutenberg left and there was like really the only guy who stick, stuck around was uh, uh, Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow. Yeah, the yeah, guy who does the sound effects. Yeah. So, 
Um, yeah, de- definitely a different type of movie. But And, you know, we've talked about Brian Cox a bunch of times on this podcast about how he is a really good actor, but he doesn't seem to have the sort of like Meryl Streep approach where it's like, I have to be able to contend for an award in order to do this picture type of thing. Because, like I said, I made a joke. You know, he he did the movie The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, you know, but... <laughs> He's also a well-trained actor, though, and like right now he's in this run with Succession, which is a massive big hit, and he's the lead, and he's in his mid-70s still taking the punches, and he's still bringing it. So uh, I think it's that was a big pull for them. It almost made me think of the closest thing I can compare it to is like um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck getting Robin Williams to do Good Will Hunting or something. You know, it's just like you get this massive talent to do something when you don't have that much of a track record, uh, I think that's a big win. And I don't know if that, you know, that helped, you know, um, the studio believe in them for funding or, or whatever. But Brian Cox, in my opinion, is a big pull for this movie when you look at the rest of the cast. So Yeah, and it, it, for him, it, it's like, it, that guy's career has been so crazy. Like, he, he was the original Hannibal Lecter, you know, mm-hmm. in Manhunter, which is a movie I have a great affinity for, but kind of got... You know, that wasn't really well received at the time, and then when the when Silence of the Lambs came out, it kind of overwhelmed like that that whole cinematic universe that Michael Mann kind of made a little more grounded. Because if you if you read the uh, if you read the novels or, you, or like the, the further it goes with the Hannibal Lecter stuff, like his mythos gets so out of control. Like yeah. he's he goes from being like um, an intelligent functional serial killer that happened to be a doctor to like he's like he's almost like Sherlock Holmes like how Sherlock Holmes is on that show elementary like yeah. ever, like he has all these like high, super heightened senses and all this other stuff but you know then he was oddly uh typecast in the 90s like I remember he would always be playing I shouldn't say always but there were two movies I specifically remember him in back to back he was in the long kiss goodnight and the glimmer man and in both movies, he played, like, a shady, like, government operative guy who was, like, the director of a covert covert operations unit. And then he would play that role again, it kind of, when he played Stryker in X-Men 2. And he was a great Stryker. We talked about that on our X-Men podcast. You know, I thought he was excellent in that movie. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it, it's still interesting, though, that he would do something like this. I don't, yeah, know. I, I don't know. Like, and I couldn't really find anything when I was reading about what his, what his motivation was. It could have just been the, like the money or just to work or, cause I know there are actors that kind of have that pedigree about them, but then they do projects and it, it's kind of like what Ian McShane was doing before the Jane, uh, before the John Wick movies. Like he was in that death race remake and he was like, he was in hot rod, which I thought was pretty funny, but it's like, just not the kind of movie you would expect to see a guy like him in. And then, you know, Brian Cox does this movie and like it, it was funny to hear the guys talk about how Bush League the production was because the budget was so low. I mean, they made the movie for like around a million dollars, $1.2 million or something. And that was after paying everybody involved and all this other stuff. Like they were telling stories about how um, their cop cars were picture cars, which I, means they probably didn't have legal plates on them. Like, I didn't know what that term meant, but I'm guessing that the cars, like, they could have gotten pulled over because they weren't registered or anything like that. And they were just driving them back and forth because they had nobody to do it. 
Right. Um, and then, like, they said Brian Cox would be talking about, they said sometimes they would see him, and they would see him just kind of staring off in the distance, and, he, and they thought he was thinking to himself, like, what the fuck am I doing? And, like, they'd be <laughs> doing night shoots on the side of the highway, and there'd be, like, nowhere, nothing for people to do between scenes, so he would just be sleeping in a van. Like while <laughs> between scenes, and uh, and then like he would he would remind the guys though that he would say things like he's like you know I I did Shakespeare in Moscow or in Moscow or something like that and and the guys would be like <laughs> and it just kind of amazed them because they wanted somebody who was kind of more well known for their comedic work I don't know mm-hmm. if they ever reached out to him or anything but like they said like a Bill Murray they wanted Bill Murray to play the O'Hagan part right but. We, we've talked a couple times about how notoriously difficult it is to get Bill Murray to be in things or to yeah, get in let, touch with him. Let alone things his friends are making. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they... Aykroyd was trying for years and years and years to get Bill Murray to do a third Ghostbusters. And then Harold, Harold Ramis dies and they had to shift a bit. But yeah, with, with Brian Cox, it's funny. I, I pulled up this article where apparently uh, during the sequel, he was giving the cast edibles like weed edibles and he's apparently like a stoner but they said they said he kevin heffernan the guy who plays farva said at heart he's uh a comedian and he's like even when you watch him in serious stuff you can tell that he embraces the um even dry comedy any level of comedy is what he likes to explore so Maybe he just likes having fun sometimes, and it's like doesn't always have to be some sort of artiste piece. And maybe he wanted to just hang out with these guys and have a good time for you know eight weeks or whatever it was. You know, it could be as simple as that because he comes back for the sequel, so uh, it's clearly not one of those things where he's like, oh, now I'm above it. You know, I'm not going to come back because we've seen that plenty of times where uh, a movie's a big hit and then they make a you know a sequel that may not really reach that echelon and. The, your main people sort of fade away and you don't know where they went and it's like well because they weren't really buying into this so yeah. he came back for the sequel and stuff and again like i said he did that stupid johnny knoxville movie the ringer so maybe the guy just likes having a good time i don't know yeah with sequel like sequels are difficult in the first place but comedy sequels are especially difficult and as we've seen yes yeah i mean ha- i mean unless it's gold member which is just an absolute masterpiece Eat shit. Just, just a clinic on how to do it, let a, a second sequel even what maybe fucking, surpass the original in quality. What a, a fucking troll job right now. <laughs> Let's go. Even our listeners are like, get out of here with that. <laughs> um, well, that, well, having said what I said about the original Super Troopers off the top, I might have to watch Super Troopers two again because I remember I did see it in the theater because I wanted to support the movie because it had like the Indiegogo funding for it. Oh right, yeah. and I, I just, I, I didn't like it. I, I just thought it suffered from what I refer to. I've referred to a couple times as like comedy sequelitis, where they take the old familiar bits and they repeat them and they turn the volume up and they. Uh, and what, what's the thing? They're a band, or they pretend they're a band, or some bullshit. What? Because I tried rewatching the second one uh, the other day, and I got through like twelve minutes. Oh, like, this reminds me of Anchorman two. Oh, dude, Anchorman 2 might be, like, the reference point for terrible comedy sequels. Horrible, horrible. Dumb and Dumber 2 also. Oh, I mean, I never even saw that one because I just, by that point, I like, Anchorman 2 kind of was like when you're a kid and you touch the hot stove and that teaches you not to ever touch the stove. Oh, Um, 
you like as but like Anchorman too. I remember being I saw that with with uh, a couple members of my family, and they said they said because we don't talk during movies generally, and Good. they they said based on my body language, it looked like I would have rather been anywhere else than watching that movie. <laughs> so Mike would have rather have been at a feminist rally in the Bay Area <laughs> in the middle of July. Oh, I, and I'd be very well received at an event like that. Wearing a, fu- a wool sweater. <laughs> oh man, in- interesting uh, comparison there. But uh, yeah, With no local have... restaurants open. <laughs> Just everything you hate. Um, I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Um, but in terms of like this movie, so, so first of all, what made you pick it? I know, you know, we have our lists and stuff like that, but what made you say like, all right, let's let's tackle Super Troopers? Is there anything particular about the movie that you wanted to get into? Or is there anything on your rewatch that you're like, you know, that's something I didn't really think about. Uh, so so what brings it to the table for you? For oh, Troopers? I when I, I picked the movie because we were talking about Brian Cox. And then oh, I was then, like, all right. And that's super, and then I, because I, I, it's on the list. And I, I've always wanted to do it. It just, it just seemed like that was the time. Yeah. To, to, what, you know, it was kind of so fresh on my mind. And the, the, the interesting part about this movie is there's really no, I guess you could say like Foster is the straight character, but yeah, he's, yeah. they try to do the, you know, rom-com romantic angle with him and ursula and that works enough and that's all you really need out of that yeah and they get and some humor out of it too absolutely a hundred percent she's yeah she's not the typical sort of um need to be courted type in these uh you know comedies she's sort of like a ball buster herself so and she's also like the most competent person in the entire movie yeah yeah like, for sure but, the, but she's just yeah. in a department where they treat her badly and right and of course she was in um I wouldn't. I don't know if we'll ever do this one, because. But it, it, and I don't. I don't know if I would generally call it a good movie. But I remember she had this pretty interesting turn in Freddie Got Fingered, yeah. that Tom Green movie. <laughs> but uh, Daddy, yeah, I don't like know. Like some sausage. <laughs> I fucking love Tom Green, man. Back in the day. Yeah, it, Tom Green, like that's the thing. He takes wild swings, and like he, his stuff is either really funny or it just fucking misses by a mile. There's like I don't no, know. Have no you watched his stand up at all? No, I haven't. I, I have to say, I don't know how you would take it. I was shocked at how funny his stand up is. It's not him it, just telling a bunch of stories about hanging out with famous people, is it? Because you know I can't fucking stand that. It isn't. Okay, great. No, no, it's not. It's not twenty twenty three Howard Stern. It's, um, it and it's not him talking about you know messing with uh, Glenn Humplick and you know anything like that. It's not one of those types of things like the Charlie Sheen manic comedy tour from twenty eleven. But it's really he he does stand up comedy, and I was shocked at how funny it is. So if you ever get a chance to check it out. Our listeners, too. Even if you weren't the biggest Tom Green fan in the late 90s, I know he has absolutely nothing to do with Super Troopers, but while it came up, check out Tom Green's stand-up. I think you might be at least pleasantly surprised if you go in expecting him uh, putting cow crap at the end of a microphone. Um, but anyway. Back no, to Melissa, Super- M- Marissa yeah. Coughlin tied those yes. two things together. 
So yes, yes. It's and not complete. It's not like it was completely like we were. You asked me a question, and then you're like, "Hey, have you seen Tom Green stand up?" Like completely fucking apropos of nothing. Like I'm just pushing Tom Green stand up. Like I'm selling tickets for him. <laughs> yeah, like you're getting <laughs> like you're getting fucking kickbacks or something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like every um, download you get five cents. Like, right, exactly. I'm going to make this happen. Um, no, I mean, th- this was just a movie, like I said at the top. I just I, I, just remember I just remember not liking it so much. And then and then over time, like, I guess if you give it a second chance, like, there's some movies, I guess, that don't deserve it, but there's not that many. But this one was like, somehow I ended up watching it again. And I was like, I don't know what my problem was. This is really funny. And it's like, maybe there was just a bunch of stuff I didn't notice before, because some of the stuff is really... Some of it goes from being pretty pretty wild and broad to being pretty subtle. Like uh, Yeah, that's a good point. And there's like little things you pick up and then there's like like there was something I read that I never even noticed. Like apparently with Brian Cox, they always have his head in front of some antlers or something. So it looks like he has them and it's like some running bit that apparently <laughs> I just never picked up on any of the times I watched this movie. No chance I did either. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I think it's um. An, did they say anything about this movie? How improvisational it was, or did they all collectively write this script and go with it? Oh, it's a good question. I I, I didn't read much about what was improved on set or not, but I know that they wrote the movie collectively, and the idea was that they were going to write the characters, but they weren't going to decide. It wasn't going to be with anybody specific in mind, which okay. I'm not a hundred percent with that because. You know, uh, the guy, who, uh, Jay Chandra Sakar, who plays Ramathorn, is he's kind of like the leader of the group. And then that's kind of like the part he settled into. Yeah. Like the, the only thing that, that was really funny to me was like they said during the table read that like uh, Kevin Hefferton was like such an asshole that he was naturally going to be Farva. Because um, <laughs> they I were like, yeah, w- w- when we were doing the table read, it was like that. that so imagine that, though. That's a pretty interesting hypothetical with with Super Troopers. It's like these five guys sitting around a table with like a half finished script and like semi fleshed out characters trying to figure out who's going to be who. And then because if you see some of Broken Lizards later movies, it's kind of interesting some of the decisions they make. Like in the follow up to this, which was Club Dread, which was wasn't very good. It had a couple I didn't of, like that. Yeah, it, it. I saw what it was trying to do. It was trying to be like a satire of slasher films, right? And there were some funny bits in it, but overall, the movie, like for me, just didn't really work. There yeah. was too much violence for yeah. it to be a comedy. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that was part of it, or maybe it was just like I just didn't like the like the cons. I, it's like I get what you're trying to do here, but I don't really. Un, I don't really like it. But right. like it like in this movie it was the exact opposite. Like Kevin Hefferton played like the the cool character. Like he was like the best character, the best good character. And then yeah. they kind of flipped the script on it. And then like Jay Chandra's car was like the the tool. He was like the tool with the British accent, tennis pro. But yeah, yeah. And mm. then they they fell back into more traditional roles with Beer Fest. I think. Yeah, um, Beer Fest was good. Beer Fest that was, was good. Yeah, and you felt. I think that's part of the charm of these movies is sort of like seeing these guys um, pulling in one direction, even though they like bust each other's chops. It's like, you know, you could, this is the type of movie they probably made for a guy and his buddies to go see together and see like themselves sort of on screen goofing off and fucking around and getting in trouble and shit. And that's what beer fest was too. So I think that that's sort of like, 
it doesn't get too deep, but that's sort of like the pull to like to to get you vested in 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 this comedy. And I think you know when you see them doing stupid shit like the the syrup chugging stuff, like we used to <laughs> do that stuff too. You know, I dare you to you drink this whole salad dressing, and mm. I dare you to fucking snort that hot pepper, and it's mm. just like you see yourself in these guys, and then him, you know, having his. Uh, um, falling down moment at the fast food place and with the, you know, it's for a cop. Don't spit in that cop's burger and, you know, liter of cola and like those, th- you know, I've, I've heard you quote liter of cola before, like just randomly. <laughs> it's just like, it's just one of those funny things that it's not going to be on a movie poster, but you say liter of cola and people around our age probably like say super troopers, you know, they just know it. And it's yeah, just it, like it's a, it's it's not a a memorable line. You're gonna need a bigger boat, but it's like no one's ever said that in a movie before. So people are like that that super troopers. Yeah, they uh, with this movie, it's like you have all these things that they thought would be funny. They're kind of like a lot of comedy movies. I think if you if you kind of space out on them enough, you'll start to see this. It's kind of like they thought you know because comedy at, at its at its root, it, it's sketches, right? It's like it's like an isolated thing. But then they found a they found like these things that they thought would be funny sketches. But then they had enough of a plot, like it's not like an Oscar winning plot or anything like that, or incredibly complex. But it's enough and it's competent to connect everything. And it, there's like a through line. It's just as good as the plot of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Do something. Do something. Uh, who? I, I, I'm just I'm just I'm just laughing, man. Soderbergh, pretty much. Man, taking shots at Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> no, no. Why? Hey, would, look, why would you do that? Who would do that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm feeling dangerous, like Russell Wilson, <laughs> who who apparently flipped a golf cart into a sand trap. That guy's that guy's career took a, a literal dive after he got traded from Seattle. Mm. Um, so maybe he'll be in the third one. We'll see. Maybe. But I I remember seeing Jay Chandra uh, Sakar. <laughs> In um, wasn't it the second Jackass he played the cab driver? I think who's, so. Yeah. Who who? <laughs> and they pulled the a prank on Aaron McGee, who was tr- supposed to fool this guy into thinking he was a terrorist. And this guy plays some sort of like Boy Scout, and he's like captures the terrorists. <laughs> like, that's so good. Um, so these guys definitely blew up around that time because Jackass was huge, and they're like they 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 were dialed into what these guys were doing um, because it's. It's funny, like a lot of, if you read like the behind the scenes of, like I was saying, like the syrup chugging contest, like at first they did it with iced tea. Now, like it doesn't work. We have to use real syrup. And they did like four more takes of it. So they're drinking real syrup. It's sort of probably what it's like making a jackass movie. You know, you got the scene where the guy's wearing the cup and they're doing it near a prison. And these actual prisoners are like yelling at them and taunting them and stuff. Like, that kind of sounds like some of the stuff that you could picture a guy from Jackass doing that, like Steve-O or something. So I don't think it's, like, that far from that tree, except this is a completely fictionalized, you know, scripted story. So I could see how that sort of marriage coexisted around that time. It was just a weird time in terms of, like, what do we think adolescent guys want to see? And it was this. It was jackass. It was all that kind of stuff. And it, it just hit at the right time for these dudes. Yeah, plus, the, like, the pranks were such a, like, central element to the humor of the movie. And it was going on on the set, too. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah. Like, there was a... 
Like the one guy they hired to be their caterer would like serve them fucked up like raw eggs sometimes. Oh. And then like somehow somebody got 32 skunks into Kevin Heffernan's trailer. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Can you see like, you know, we're putting a snake in Bam Margera's camper, you know, like um, it's, it's, it's wild. So, Maybe it was just a fun set to be on. And again, maybe that's what Brian Cox wanted to do at that time. I don't know. But he seemed to have a good time with that. And then you, there's other, you know, comedian, Jim Gaffigan, who's now like he sells out arenas. You know, he's sitting there playing this just random dude who's getting meowed, uh, getting pulled over. Um, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman herself, playing the uh, governor. Yep. Yeah. Um, and not giving a fuck about weed offenses in 2001 <laughs> pretty funny uh then you have a uh, guy who uh sadly i believe uh killed himself yeah He's known for playing kruger on seinfeld uh daniel von bargen who's been in a bunch of stuff as well and uh some of the other faces that i felt were a bit familiar i'm sure there's you know well it's cool uh, because if if you like the brand of broken lizard comedy and you watch like beer fest and there was another movie that didn't really get kind of the run I thought it deserved because I think it went straight to video, but it was called it was called the Slam and Salmon. It was basically like Super Troopers, but it was in a in a restaurant, and mm. uh, Kobe Smulders was in it, which ah. was pretty like before. I think it was during the run of How I Met Your Mother. She just did it like as like oh I want to be in a movie, and uh, but you see some of those recurring parts like the that one cop like the one spurberry cop who I think is he's hilarious in the slab and salmon he has this one bit part that I'm not going to ruin if you ever watch it but he was the guy who's you know they've got the you know you want to talk about it it's like a, just a loon like a just a crazily inspired bit like how about a guy wearing having a costume that looks like he's having sex with a bear <laughs> as a distraction and then like that guy's like on a bullhorn being like hey Bear fucker. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And apparently um, the couple pulled over when Farva says chicken fuckers were his parents. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah that was his real parents. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Let me get my parents. Like if I ever had a chance with that to make a movie, I've definitely tossed my parents in there. <laughs> I know yeah, Vince, Vaughn, like... Vince Vaughn does that a bunch. Vince Vaughn's old man's always popping up in his movies. Yeah, and it's like generally speaking, though, like I could be wrong, isn't it? When you put when people put their parents in a movie, it's always like, it's like this weird stereotype where they're always kind of admonishing them, or like the kids like doing something they're not supposed to be doing in front of the parents. I yeah, don't know, it's like that weird so. like subconscious parental thing. Probably like, or or just like to get as bare bones as possible. Like, let me try to make my parents uncomfortable on a movie set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What, but dude, what if J Five becomes like a movie director that he puts you in one? Oh, let's go, let's <laughs> do it, man! How funny right. would that be? Yeah, it would be pretty funny. But he yeah. puts you in like a really terrible part, like you're like a you're like a jizz mopper at like a, an adult bookstore. <laughs> like <laughs> in the credits, it just says jizz mopper number two. I'm not even the first jizz mopper. <laughs> And there is no jizz mopper number one. Like yeah, you're, the, you're just the understudy to the original jizz mopper, but they leave, yeah, he leaves exactly. it in the credits. It's like this isn't even the guy I wanted to be the original jizz mopper. But jizz mopper is my number dad. one is my wife. And <laughs> he, he just puts us both in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, if my son becomes a, a famous movie director, then that's awesome in my opinion. But um, we shall see. But yeah, it's it, it, it's always funny. I like when people uh, toss their throw their parents a bone because i'm sure this guy 
you know, there's always those conversations like you're not going to make anything of yourself. What are you going to make this movie now? You know, you're still living in our house. Well, it's funny you say that because debt. these guys like so they had made Puddle Cruiser and then Puddle Cruiser didn't really get them where they needed to go. So they were still doing they were still doing live comedy, traveling for gigs, trying to make another movie to see if they could you know break out. And they didn't quite break out, but it, it was su- successful enough for them to get more movies made down the road. But they were actually thinking it's like if this doesn't work out, we're going to have to like, you know lead ordinary lives god forbid but kevin hefferton had passed the bar exam before super before they started filming super troopers so he said if it didn't work out i have a backup plan yeah and you know they were all i assume in their 30s by the time this hit um i i I mean it looks like heffernan yeah i think they're all now in their mid 50s so um yeah i mean by that point you're as a parent your patient probably runs thin and you're like what are you doing with your life type of thing? So um, I'm sure once they got the deal and they're like, I want to put my parents in this movie. I want to show them like, we're really doing a real thing here. I want my parents to be proud of me sort of thing. So that could be that too, but it's always cool to see that sort of type of stuff. But um, you can tell, and another thing about this movie is you can tell that it's definitely low budget, um, but it's not, it has a different feel than something like orgasmo, which really feels low budget you know where this sort of like like all right they're in this town and small town there's the police station there's the other police station and there's the highway and maybe we'll toss you know a restaurant in here or something you don't need too much for this movie so i i think that that part of it was fine to me i didn't feel like this was uh like cheap or anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, plus they had uniforms, they had cop cars, they had a couple functioning prop guns. Yeah. You know, they staged a couple fist fights. You know, they had yeah. that kind of raucous element of comedy to it. So, yeah, yeah I see what you mean. Being low budget, but not necessarily... Yeah, you could tell it was, but it you could tell some care went into it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they 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 got the most out of what they had when it came to putting into in this production together. And again, you know, th- this is a movie we could easily, maybe a, a decision here and a decision there, maybe try to like out of nervousness, the studio forces it into a PG 13 or something and you don't get the level of comedy you're looking for. And we could be talking about a, just a complete disaster of a comedy. And we could be talking about Kevin Heffernan, you know, a law firm, you know, or whatever else these guys ended up doing. But it worked out for them to the point where here they still are today talking about potentially making a third Super Troopers. Uh, and like you said, those guys are in, you know, Tacoma FD. Um, uh, Jay uh, Chandra Sakar obviously went on to do other things directing uh, in TV. And so they've done all right. You know, they've done all right. But. Uh, did you have any particular spot? Uh, we both kind of said the intro is sort of like hard to top. Any other part of the movie that is a standout for you? Man, I don't know because this movie's so oddly quotable with just all uh, yes. the random stuff that happens. Like, I, 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 there's a there's several people in my life where if something's going on, like like if you're playing, like here's an example, like you're like you're watching a football game and your team is like beating the shit out of somebody. Like the like the Giants are beating the shit out of, out of the Cowboys. That's an example that plays here. Um, and then like they're up like thirty one to seven, and then they score again, and you're like, spread it out. 
<laughs> for, it's that's a that's a great bit character. I always thought his I know he was the mayor of that town, but I thought his name was I thought they referred to him as Mad Timber. I thought he was like Mad Timber for the longest time. It's like no, they're saying Mayor Timber, but if you look at the credits, he's credited as Mad Bill Timber. So I don't know where the hell I got that from because they don't really say it in the movie. I, I think it was just one, a, a strange coincidence. Like I misheard it and it just turned out to be that's how they bill him. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, just a bunch of, like all the all the little bits. Like, dude, just, you know, you talked about the opening too. Just like the way that all the guys have kind of like a cop persona that they put on. Like they kind of they kind of do like a low growly like Clint Eastwood thing with their voice, or they go the other way. Like they try to be like an old timey like Southern lawman, like maybe in the fa- in the fashion of Smokey and the Bandit, and they yeah. kind of have that. Like almost anything uh, Ramathorn says in the movie is kind of funny. Like even <laughs> when he just goes, he's like, "Yo, faster we're going," and they're like sixty five. He's just like sixty three. He's just all deadpan and just staring at him and like. <laughs> I mean, like, I, it's so hard to isolate a favorite thing because there's just so many funny things that happen in the movie, and you just notice more and more of them the more you see them. Like, like when uh, you know they're they're in the briefing room the first time, and uh, Farva comes in, and you know, of course, he's his, anything he does is not well received by the group, and he's like, "Oh, are you singing the song? Sing it again, rookie biatch!" And oh, Hank just goes Farva, and then he like takes the gun. And he points it at him when it's on the desk. Like, he just turns it, like, a couple degrees so it's pointing <laughs> right at him. <laughs> I don't know, oh, man. man. It's like, it, it, that was one of the things that I thought would be hard about this movie because, to me, there's not, like, there's so many crazy little things that they manage to tie together and it kind of makes sense because you're dealing with the personal lives of five police officers to varying degrees, but then you're also looking at their kind of... um the, the, their shenanigans at, at the office. <laughs> I swear to God, if one of you motherfuckers says shenanigans one more time, I'm gonna pistol whip somebody. That was a good bit too, because then he, uh, I didn't notice this, but he baits yeah. Harvard to saying it, and then he goes to hand his gun. Yeah, to, both of them do. It was like, oh, they're handing him a gun to pistol whip him. I swear to God, I'm gonna pistol whip the next man who says shenanigans. Hey, Farva, what's the name of that restaurant you like with the mozzarella sticks and the goofy shit on the walls? You mean shenanigans? Oh. Right. I do like the bit where she goes to, um, like in hiding meet with Foster she's like dressed up as a biker and he shows up as a fucking cyclist <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh I'm such an idiot <laughs> yeah I mean that's the kind of thing that like the writing of this movie could have gone completely wrong but you have five different guys with five different crazy ideas and they're trying to insert them into the movie like just stuff to make people laugh and it's like yeah. it could be something as stupid as you know trying to be surreptitious on a, on a date because you don't want your you don't want the people in your various departments to know that you're dating because there's a there's right. an interdepartmental rivalry yeah um yeah like yeah. one well, of the things go ahead well i was just gonna say also on the flip side of that too when farva turns and gets the job with the locals and he shows back up as though like it shouldn't be a big deal and the guys are so pissed at him but they're so thrown off by how uh he's just there and not reading the room that they don't even know what to say he just like, excuse me, 
excuse me. And he like worked like Cartman. He works his way. He's sort of like a Cartman, and he works his way through. And then eventually they just uh, they have enough and they they lose it on him. But I uh, I, I I thought I thought that was really funny. Um, I mean, a lot of people I think would point to Farver being the funniest because he's sort of like the Will Ferrell in old school for this movie, where he's like the way over the top one in terms of like what he's like, his persona, what he does. Like the other guys, because you know you like the show Scrubs, right? Yeah. Well, up until that last season where they were at the school. Oh, I don't count that shit. Oh, yeah. Okay, good for you. Yeah, uh, I go one through eight, and I'm out. But, um, but I remember somebody saying that Scrubs is actually more like what it's like being a doctor than like. All the ER. ER and and Grey's Anatomy and shit, and they're like, no, this is actually, you know, they got to be this way in order to keep themselves sane, and they they are a bit jokey, and sometimes they are a bit inappropriate, and that's just how it is. And it makes me think, like, you know, cops are probably the same way. It's a fraternity. They're fucking around a lot, busting each other's balls, and I'm sure this is more what it's like than the NYPD Blue or something like that. But because all these guys, except Farva. You can say like, you know, maybe that's what a cop would be like, aside from like crossing the line here and there. But he's like a cartoon character. He's like fucking fog foghorn leghorn. He's just like way over the top, jumping over the counter at the fast food place, choking the guy out, dumping chicken on his face. You know, he's the one that they're like, we're really going to push the envelope with the comedy here. And this is the character that's that's going to happen with. Well, and it kind of justifies the way that they treat him. Like, he's on the radio, yeah. and, like, nobody ever wants to get him involved. And then it's like, what? Well, and then, you know, they, they have a plot contrivance where he does have to get back he, because Rabbit gets taken off the road for his uh, antics with the Porsche. And then... Uh, you know, then he get like you. Then it, it's like almost instantly. It's like four minutes of screen time. He fucks up so bad. It's like a, it's like a high profile thing. But he's like the buffoon character. And then you have you know Ramathorn, who's like the he's not really the straight man, but he's like the leader. And then you have Mac, who's kind of like the wild card. And you got the rookie. Uh, yep. Yeah. You have, a, you have a rookie, and then you've got the kind of love struck guy, who's as you said probably the closest thing they have to a straight man. But. Yeah. Uh, I think they, yeah. they made the joke in the movie that he was like a civilian trapped in a cop's body. Like he wasn't really meant to be a cop or he like he just ended up doing it for some reason. And the thing you said about this maybe being an accurate workplace comedy or maybe more accurate than a show like Law and Order. Because I know that really bothers me. Like that didn't bother me when I was younger. But like when you watch TV shows and it, they just put over like how dedicated these characters are, it's like... They did it on Law and Order SVU all the time. I remember it was like it was like it's like you've been here for forty eight hours. Like you need to go home. It's like no, I'll go home when this case is over. It's like ah <laughs> oh, man, like <laughs> like I'm not saying that like you know people have people are humans and they have limits. There's like you know like I know there are people who are dedicated to their jobs. There are some people who are very dedicated, but it's like if you're like that all the time, like you, yeah, like how many how many cop drama movies or TV shows is it? They're estranged from their wife. They haven't seen their kid in a few years. They have a drinking problem, and they're just too dedicated to the work. Yeah, you know, re- it, yeah. There's realism in that too, but it's like it's not fun. Like I don't. It's it's played. It's been done. So it's a trope that's been so exhausted that you know, give me silly. You know, give me something that maybe I could buy into. Where you could see like 
a cop, you know, off the, off, you know, we have a guy on our softball team as a police officer and he doesn't really get into details and stuff, but these guys see weird shit. And it's probably part of it is like having a few after a shift and talking about the ridiculous person who didn't have pants that you pulled over or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, I, and history is kind of borne out that because this movie has such a following with police officers, like these guys have all these, the, the guys in this movie have all these stories about getting pulled over and the cops see who they are and they let them off because it's like, man, we, we play all the games from the movies. Like, this is some of the stuff we do that. You know, you didn't like, like they, like their, their kind of pranks have become police issue pranks. Almost. Mike, let's, let's make a movie about the IRS. <laughs> oh man. I would, we de- we definitely have to call it, consult Scooby on that one for some we, tax yeah, oh, stuff. Oh, true. Yeah. We, we get, uh, audited and then they're like, oh wait, you guys are the, you guys made the comedy about, about the tax man? Ugh. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Except like it would just go. I don't even know if we would do the like it, because I guess the only cops that they said didn't like this movie were the Vermont State Police <laughs> because <laughs> they were the ones being lampooned. But oh, get over! I it. mean, I guess it could have been anybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that's what they picked because probably because they grew up, not grew up, but they all met in upstate New York and that's where they lived and. That's kind of what they knew. And like a yeah. lot of the, like I mentioned, a lot of these stories, and I don't want to get bogged down with too many specific examples, but a lot of these stories came from, you know, their own personal experiences. Like they were going to Canada for a bachelor party at an RV and they had all these drugs with them. And like they got pulled over by customs. I don't know what they were thinking, trying to go, they, I guess, what anybody tries to do when they try to smuggle drugs into a foreign country is just they just don't, they just think they could do it. But yeah. the one guy ate like 12 mushrooms. Because there was a somebody left a joint out on the on the dashboard, and then they got detained, and they, so that was like kind of the basis for that story. Like that, like that ended up in the movie. And I um, don't even know what that would be like. Holy cow! Because I've done <laughs> shrooms, but twelve. Yeah, they said the guy didn't remember. Any, they were in Canada for seventy two hours. They said the guy didn't remember anything except he, when he when he finally came around. Like he said, his face hurt because he was smiling so much. <laughs> okay, love that Joker. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, I don't know me. why I think of this comparison. Maybe it was just Kevin Heffernan's looks and stuff, but it's almost like if this wasn't a comedy, that character would be almost like exactly. Private Pile from Full Metal Jacket. You know, he's the overweight one with the short hair that everyone gives a hard time to. And like, you just feel like he's just going to go off at any moment. But because it's a comedy, that's not, you know, happening here. He does have this moment where he flips out on them. Remember when he stops them from yeah. chasing the, the, the rig? But I don't know why I thought of D'Onofrio in that role I don't know if that's just a similar look and sort of like how that person's always sort of like the butt of everything but it's like if this movie was a drama he would be that type of role but because it's a comedy it's like he's like a Will Ferrell type or like a Farley type you know yeah and like it's funny it's social dynamics there's all there, there's just people who they just don't fit in groups like it's harder for them and then they kind of become like a target and so he's kind of like that, but then you, the scene you mentioned, it's like they bring it back because, like, with the way he delivers that line is really funny. Where he's like, "I gotta bust criminal, like, I want to bust criminals. It's what I gotta do." <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Did you have like a like a? Fa- I mean, you mentioned the beginning, but was there any like scene that stood out for you or anything that 
I mean, I... it's hard for me to narrow it down because there's so much like just that that funny ass German guy with the Porsche and the and then the, they, they the swingers. Like, you watch yeah. the Broken Lizard movies and like he shows up in a bunch of them and sorry. everyone gets a mustache ride. Yeah. <laughs> um, I you know me, I like when people are at the end of their rope in movies. Uh, now I'm not saying anybody went manic in this movie, which is unfortunate, but. I liked when they all lost their job and they're all just fucking tying it on and they're just causing havoc and they're trying to, you know, um, just cause some mayhem. And even even um, the captain who has been like angry at them the whole time, saying like, you guys are going to lose your jobs and stuff. He's just like starts pouring shots of Johnny Black. And he's like, who's doing a shot with me right now? And it's just like that whole scene... And then he's screaming into the radio to Ursula that he's naked and stuff. <laughs> and like, I think all that stuff. Um, also, uh, also because of the fact that in any movie, it's it's the funniest trope that you can imbibe as much booze and drugs as you want, but when the script says so, you're immediately going to be sober. And that's <laughs> where, where instead of like a three day hangover, which is probably what I would have. But um, because they get all like looped up and, and boozed up and then they have to like face this like big situation and then they all do like a really good job of it. Um, so I like that scene towards towards the end where they're all sort of just down their luck and they lost their jobs and then they start just absolutely boozing and causing mayhem. I think that's my favorite scene. Yeah, it plus it little... showed that even though he was the boss, he was like one of them all along. It was just he was trying to keep them in line. But then yeah. he's just one of them too. Like, yeah, and he just happened to have five shot classes. I don't know where he got found those, and he just rolls in with that already uh, half drank bottle, and he's like, "Who's doing a shot with me?" And like, n- it's just one of those things where you, like none of those guys are gonna say no to their boss. They're like, "All right, it's time. He's one of us. One of us." Yeah, because so, yeah, because their absolutely. shenanigans are fun and cheeky, while Farva's are cruel and tragic, which makes <laughs> them not shenanigans at all, really. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, I know we're only up on an hour. I didn't think this would be like the longest um, pod in the world, but um, I wonder how diluted the plot feels now that, you know, marijuana is more legalized. And I think it was clearly more of a stigma back then. I know it was, at least in college. When I went to college first semester in 2000, two kids got completely kicked out of Yukon just for smoking some weed. So I didn't smoke in college, really. Um, so I don't know if that waters it down a bit, um, but they do make a joke about it when Linda Card is like, they, they did a, a drug bust. She's like, what kind of drugs? And they're like, weed. She's like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, she's like cocaine, and they're like, they're like no. She's like, oh, yeah. I do like. Oh, here's another funny part. The fucking mayor who wants to be in the photo op, and he's like, give me a gun, give me a gun, and he's yeah. like, sitting there. Got a gun for the picture. Yeah, that's what he says. Spread it on. Yeah, yeah, he's right. right. With shotgun, right. he's like, spread it on, spread it on, right? And he's hold, yeah, he's holding the shotgun. He's like, yeah, oh my god, I thought that was really funny too. <laughs> um, and I don't, he that actor looked familiar, John Bedford Lloyd, but I don't know that I've, I don't know that I'd be able to point out what else he's been in. Yeah, same but, here. I I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking at his. I mean, his filmography looks like it's the type of thing you see direct to video. Or like a movie on, like USA on a Tuesday night. Hallmark films. Yeah, yeah. I see like Shannon Doherty on one of these covers. Yeah, 
Um, but um, what else? The, the, I mean, there's got to be other aspects of this. We didn't really well, talk about, um, you know, who directed and who, uh, you know, handled the reins. I know you're talking about Jay Chandra Sakar, but um, there's got to be other elements of this that we haven't talked about. We, I mean, we clearly have time. So, well, I, I thought it was interesting, but you mentioned, I wanted to mention this when you were talking about the production value of the movie, but I, you know, it just kind of got lost. I just wanted to come back to it. You know, it was originally supposed to be set in the 70s. And I think oh, that makes sense. And, and and part of the reason I think they didn't do it was because I think that would have that would have at least doubled the budget, you know, to get period accurate set dressing and cars and clothing. It might have been more of a, like it, it, I just think if, when you do movie that isn't that the risk you kind of run when you do period pieces? Like you have yeah. to, you have to make everything look at, at <laughs> not as anachronistic as possible. That that costs money and it takes a lot of time. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah, and you know, the fact that this was really his first real movie directing, and I know you know him and his team are doing it, so they probably worked together. Um, I wonder how they decided who did what. Maybe he was just more experienced with it, or he did the first movie, and I I understand the separation of uh, responsibilities and stuff like that. But also, the music by Thirty Eight Special. Um, now, do they exclusively make new music for this movie? I'm trying to think. Or did they just use a bunch of their hits? I No, I don't think so. I think it was maybe they just did like uh, kind of the score for it. I didn't. I actually didn't look into that because when, when I was reading it, like they talked about how Smokey the Bandit was an inspiration. Like when they did that song at the end, that Big Bear song during the last fist fight, mm-hmm. that sounded like it belonged in a Smokey the Bandit movie. Mm, but uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know about because it, th- so it's the same thirty-eight special that hold on loosely and caught up in it, you did the score it, for this. It is that's yeah. pretty funny. For some reason, yeah. I just didn't think it'd be this. Like I thought it was somebody else using that name or something. I just didn't <laughs> think it would be them. But it's like it's kind of like how Steve Vai did the score for PCU. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But I yeah. but I don't think Steve like Steve Vai is more known as like a like a really excellent guitar player as opposed to like having hit songs. So it mm. doesn't really surprise me that like a lot of people wouldn't know that name. Like I think the right. only reason I know Steve Vai's name is because um I don't know, I I like maybe maybe hit, I played a lot of guitar hero games when I was younger, so probably it's, had well, Yeah, he's Steve Vai's one of those guys that you have to know who he is, you have to know how good he is, you have to know who he's influenced, but you don't need to know one Steve Vai song. okay that's how i you know dimebag daryl and a lot of my guitar heroes looked up to steve Vai and his virtuoso approach same with like a joe satriani and stuff or like jeff back i I never yeah but yeah but i i never i'm never buying a you know a steve Vai record um or anything like that so um i mean that uh, yeah i forgot about that with pcu but yeah 38 special doing the music for this um, I was trying to look up the the producer Richard Perello to see, you know, he's still around. If there was anything about like what made him want to get on board and produce this picture, I, I don't um, know. At one point, George Clooney was a producer on this, though. And one of the things that I thought was so funny was that when they were trying to sell this script to um, to studios, a lot of them were would like got hung up on the meow bit. Like, they thought it was stupid. They're like, this is never going to work in a movie. And then that ended up being arguably one of the most well-known bits from the movie. So, 
I guess it goes to show you, like, sometimes, like, studio wisdom isn't always there. Like, they, they also wanted to have a scene at the beginning where they were, like, kids playing together. So it would show, like, their personalities. And, and like, they... I, I think the Broken Lizard guys hated that idea. And it ultimately... Because they wanted a, a more well... Like, I made that Ben Affleck joke earlier. But, like, I think one of those studios, I think it was Fox, asked if they... If, if they were like, we'll make this if Ben Affleck's the lead. And... Oh, duh. I mean, I like ben, I like Ben Affleck, but like I said, I I think this movie needed to have unknowns so that when you're seeing someone get pulled over, you're not you know seeing oh it's Robert Patrick from Terminator, you know, or you know whatever. Um, which, by the way, you know this because of that, and because this movie didn't do the you know we're gonna make 2001 jokes or whatever. Um, I think this type of comedy, even though it's not of the ilk of a Mike Myers movie ages much better than a bunch of his movies. And I, I know you and I, you know, we take no pleasure in saying that because we've always been fans of Mike Myers, but we've done a few of his movies now. And I feel like we left those podcasts sort of like realizing that he dated himself and to a fault. Whereas this movie, you could watch it now and still it feels like, Good to go. You don't. Yeah, feel except like... for the th- yeah the thing you mentioned about the relaxed attitude about marijuana, but that's not really the case federally. Either. No. It, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like yeah. except for that aspect of it, which you know you do have a point there, but it's but yeah, it doesn't really uh, date itself all that much or set or entrench itself during that time period. Like uh, like it was funny. I went bowling the other day and um, they had had you, you roll. Oh, terrible! Fucking terrible! Uh, <laughs> Any Big Lebowski quotes? I was not throwing rocks, that's for sure. Okay. I Did tried. Tell- I tried to get the uh, them to put on like that that she came on song by uh, from from Kingpin, and nice. of course the guy wouldn't do it. And I'm like, this place fucking blows. I'll never Did, bowl there t- again. Did you tell anyone to market zero? <laughs> no. no. Right. Um, but I was the reason I brought up the bowling alley is because they had these really dated graphics like transition graphics, like if you get a gutter ball or a spare or a strike or an open frame <laughs> or whatever. And the one, like, this girl was wearing, like, these camo Jenko pants. And I was like, I was like, and I, I look at my brother, I'm like, that had to be fucking filmed in, like, 1997. Like, you would <laughs> never see a girl wearing those pants today. Like, Oh, my God. But Carl it, would start jerking off if he saw that. <laughs> He's a man of wealth and taste. No, I'm just thumb and index, if both thumb and 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 one index finger. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. Like, oh, that was another thing I wanted to mention. We were, we were talking about the collective writing process. Like, then once the roles were set and they started like coming up with new ideas, I don't know if this was before or after, but kind of there was a couple homages to uh, Rambo: First Blood <sighs> in this movie, and one of them was the infamous powdered sugar de-lousing scene with Farva. <laughs> and his whole thing was, you know, these guys were, re- they had a movie under their belt, but they were relatively inexperienced. He's like, I'll do the scene. I just don't, like, don't show my dick. Don't show my <laughs> dick. And then they were like, oh, nobody wants to see that tuna can or whatever they, they said to him. Because that, <laughs> that's actually like a running bit on Dakota, Tacoma FD that he has a tuna can dick, that same actor. <laughs> but uh, then, so the way they framed it, it wasn't going to show, but then he started like, he, he, like the powdered sugar hit his lips and he started like going, bup, 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 like he started caught. And apparently the, the camera, the camera guy thought it was so funny that he was la- like bobbing up and down. And that's why you could see his dick in the scene. Uh-huh. 
And then, like, he was talking about how when they go to events, like, girls will come up to him and ask for his autograph, and they'll have a T-shirt with him naked on it. <laughs> and they made a joke. It's like, everybody's seen Kevin's dick. He's like, like President Obama saw Kevin's dick. Like, <laughs> it's, like it's pretty funny. Um... Yo, so when did this come out? Early 2001? 2001, I think. I think it was in the summer it came out. Not 100%, mm. but I think it was in the summer. Because I remember seeing it in the theater. That would have meant I was home from college. All right, so this is what I'm seeing on Wikipedia, so you know it's right. Um, <laughs> no January, need to fact check it. Sundance, January 2001. Release date in the United States, February 2002. That's crazy. That. And just goes to show you, memory is not infallible. I remember seeing that in the in a theater in my hometown over a summer. Like, was but this, was this movie? So you know, I hate to say it, you know, post nine eleven, um, everyone loving cops after nine eleven. Um, maybe that gave it a little boost too. I don't know. Like the the story I read was that when they were at Sundance. You know, he who will not be named, who used to be a big time film producer that got a lot of classics made and a lot of movies that wouldn't get made today made, Harvey Weinstein, he was involved. He just said he will not be named and you fucking named him. Well, I'm going to name him anyway because it's stupid. Like, yeah, yeah, the guy did some heinous shit, but like separate the art from the artist. Come on, let's all be adults here. We're He's just a total talk- piece of shit. <laughs> Even so, we're just talking about him. We're talking about him in a professional capacity. We're not right. talking about his abuse of starlets. But uh, what he did for this movie was he just was seen talking to these guys. And that got a bunch of studios interested just because they were he was seen talking to them. Yeah, that's crazy. Man. Yeah, because yeah. that's how much stroke that guy had back then. Because they wanted him to come to the screening. And he said, I can't come to the screening because if I have a meeting at midnight. If I walk out, it's like going to be a death sentence for your movie. But then I guess a lot of people showed up to those screenings high and drunk, and there was like a really good energy. Like they were laugh, like especially at the opening, they were laugh, like they got a really strong pop on the opening. And uh, he actually came back for the last fifteen minutes of the movie, and then took the guys up to the bar for last call, and they were like having drinks, and then that got a bunch of studios interested in the movie. That's, I think that's something I would love to have seen is the in- the opening scene for this movie shown for the first time to a large crowd because I bet it like brought the house down. I bet people were like in their seats cackling because I don't know that we've like seen anything like that before. You know, just the whole aspect of them knowing those kids were high and fucking with them so hard, like repeating the whole exchange and, you know, slamming on the brakes and going in full reverse and, you know, pull over, can't pull over any further. Like all that stuff. Um, it's just a, I think it's, I love talking about like, I love making lists. I love like, you know, top opening scenes of all time. And, you know, I put, you know, Jaws on there. The first scream I talked about, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, probably up there. Um, for a comedy, Super Troopers has to be one of the top 10 best opening comedy scenes of all time. It's just so fucking funny and so goddamn good. And it's, I don't know if I'm there yet. I'm close, maybe in a few years, but, and I've brought this up on the podcast before, when you watch something when you're younger and you're in the perspective of like those kids and you're like, oh shit, what would I do if I got pulled over here? 
But then now as I'm 40, I'm like, I would love to fuck with these kids, you know? <laughs> so you see it from that perspective and it's almost like watching a different scene because you're seeing it, putting yourself in the officer's shoes. So I think that's kind of cool too, because who wouldn't want to love to fuck with three punks? Uh, <laughs> like that I mean yeah and they know. actually changed the ending so that it became kind of like a closed loop where because the original ending was like they were but they were gonna be in a pork factory or something that was cutting all these corners and that was gonna be the undercover investigation they were doing and then after Sundance they changed it to the ending where it the those same kids are throwing a party and they got to fuck with them for a second time but then they ended up like partying hanging together. with them yeah yeah because that's always about, a go ahead uh, well I was just gonna say the keg uh I, I even saw this before reading any trivia. The keg says Anheuser-Busch on it. So it's yeah. like just like a Budweiser keg. Um, and I'm sure you're more eagle-eyed about that these days than you used to be too. So, eh, I didn't notice it. I mean, I, yeah. appreciate, the, I appreciate the thought, but I, I didn't see it this time. I mean, I, I saw that... I'm not one of those guys who catches shit in real time in movies. Like, I don't... I, I usually I don't, don't either. No, yeah. I usually takes me a few for sure, no doubt about it. Um and that's same with like movie trailers and stuff like that. But um I don't I I thought it was I thought that was a bit ridiculous that we went full circle with those same kids and um cuz I'm trying to think and I know this isn't a deep movie by any stretch and it's sort of like the end of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back where they just like go and beat up all the kids who were talking shit on the internet. But <laughs> And that movie came out the same year too. But, um, d- like, did they f- like just find out where those kids lived and like tried to intercept the? No, it was a noise complaint. And... They got oh, and set... they just they showed up and pretended they were the keg deliverers. I, I guess I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. Because it, yeah. it like it kind of feeds into that whole thing about them trying to make things pranks. So they did a faux undercover thing yeah they, they were just the police called to a noise complaint they're like oh that address i know whose address that is and well i don't think they knew whose address it was i think it was just th- that was how they wanted to, to to bust up the noise complaint they wanted it to happen get to be in those kids and see and it just happened to be those same kids yeah oh okay can you believe it yeah, yeah plus it's like a fake out for the audience because we thought they all got fired and then it turns out it was a surprise happy ending because the, the, they got they got all the jobs for the corrupt because all the corrupt yeah. cops probably went to prison. Yeah, cops do tough time. <laughs> Anybody hard who, time? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to get go down that rabbit hole, but I think a lot of people have like kind of a fascination with prison if they've never been there. Like yeah. what? Like wow? Like how it all works and yeah, all that stuff. I, they actually made a movie. The guy who played J.B. Lannister was in this movie called Shot Caller where he was like this he was this random white collar guy and for some reason they did the same thing on the show Oz they had a white collar guy like who led a life of privilege go to prison and he, they went for basically the same crime like they they committed a DUI and then they killed somebody while they were driving drunk and that's why they ended up in prison I guess it's kind of the highlight um Maybe the miscarriage of it all. Like, yeah, they killed somebody, but it's different than, you know, being like a hardened criminal, but you get put in there with them all the same. But uh, there's always that weird fascination with prison and stuff. I'm glad they didn't get into that too much in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm also happy that, you know, we're an hour and 15 minutes into this pod and we're probably drawing to- closer to the end here, but that we didn't do on, do some crazy tangent about, you know, real life 
police culture, so to speak. So yeah, I, I there's there's nothing to be gained from that. I mean, no, I don't no. know because some people like yeah. the the I don't know, but the uh, the. This movie just had so like like I said I know this isn't that maybe not be wholly satisfying for people because this movie seems like it has you could probably ask ten different people who saw this movie like what's your favorite bit like what's the first but not even your favorite but like what's the first thing that pops in your mind and you probably get like nine or ten different answers mm-hmm. so it's like you can't even really, there's so many little funny things that happen in this movie and so many like little random like characters like the, like we mentioned the german guy and the mayor and and like you know the 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 cops from the spurberry pd and their nonsense and so you've got like just a, a real kind of collection of parts working together in a harmony that maybe doesn't like 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 I said the first time i saw it i didn't really appreciate it but then the second time i saw it i was like man there's just a lot of little funny things going on in the background i don't know yeah, there there's another scene that I just thought of that I loved. Um I think it's Mac and isn't he cranking one out and Oh he's god. Like, oh my <laughs> Yeah. And he's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's close. He's close. You can tell, you know, it's that it's that make or break moment. <laughs> and he's like trying to avoid having to pull the car out. <laughs> I thought that's so dude. Funny. When he, and he like he's he has the radar gun and he's pointing and like he's like and he's like he's making that noise he's like ooh, ooh and then he starts fucking choking himself like just out of nowhere. <laughs> oh man, like that's one of the funny like these guys all have to be such degenerates. Like it's so like just all the random <laughs> shit they inserted like like Thorny being a swinger and like all yeah. this other stuff they put in. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just. I, I'm so glad I brought that up because I remember what that was. Maybe one of the harder I've laughed in the rewatches is watching and, him trying to. F- and then, the he, then like they they have a uh, when, when they bring Rabbit in because he he was driving the stolen Porsche and then it somehow like gets a I don't remember the exact line but it gets alluded to that Mac was jacking it in a squad car and then Thorny <laughs> goes the billboard. Uh, casino. What was it? Casino Fantastique or something? It was like the. It was like casino right across the border. And he just and he just like goes yeah. So like it was like he knew. <laughs> they, it's the, it's, it's a like, common spot. Yeah, he knew. He, that's the premier billboard to stroke it to. In that's that part. one way to date the movies because he doesn't have like a smartphone to watch porn on or anything. Like you had, to watch porn back in two thousand one, you had to rent porn. Yeah, or buy it. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That that that's the scene. That's how it would end up in your kid's movie. There, he would insert some scene where a guy's buying porn for some reason, and then you're just there mopping up the booths. <laughs> that's why he's the best in the business, folks. He talked about a full circle callback. Um, all right, man. I think that puts a cherry on this one for me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I just yeah. I think I think we're pretty close to the end here. You know, we just talked like a little bit about the. You know, just the legacy it left. You know, it's a cult classic, and then you kind of made Broken Lizard, kind of made them a, a, a thing in Hollywood where they could keep making movies of varying degrees of quality. Like we talked about, um, if one of the things that people, I, I want people listening to this, if you haven't uh, heard of it or seen it, if you like this movie and you like Beer Fest, try to track down Slam and Salmon. Like I, I don't, I think it's actually on YouTube in its entirety for free. Like I don't even think it's one of those movies that like 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 uh, again I don't want to keep referencing the same thing over and over again but you know like with PCU I did not realize how hard it was for people to find that movie yeah so like I think the Slab and Salmon is on YouTube 
for like I like it was one of those movies that just kind of like slipped through the cracks copyright wise so you could find it in sections or its entirety but it's like it's probably like in my opinion the third best broken lizard movie behind beer fest and this and then you know you've got the sequels which i don't know maybe i'll give super troopers two another run and they're talking about making a third one so and then of course you have the uh you know the tie to law enforcement where law enforcement thinks this is like kind of one of their um at least according to these guys stories because apparently none of them have gotten a traffic ticket in 20 years Um, solid yeah, not bad. I like your idea about making an IRS comedy, but we'd have to make... The thing is, I think you'd be able to make it funny. I would just want to, like, make like make it darkly funny. Like, too... Like, I don't know. I, I think if we put our heads together, it'd be a nice, balanced cocktail. All right, well, let's give it a couple minutes after, after the show. But uh, you, it sounds like you're about ready to be done. I don't... You know, I guess I'm we could just, talk about our favorite scenes for like another 30, 40 minutes, but I don't really know how much people are going to get out of that. So I, I, I'm i glad that you you seem to enjoy your rewatch and you, you know, you did, you kind of had so, a lot to contribute. So appreciate that. But I guess yeah. now we got to find out what we're doing next time. So I know we've been on a bit of a comedy run. We here. have. I think we did. Uh, it's, you know, Airheads, Super Troopers. I forget what was before Airheads. But, um, and scream, you know, which is, you know, funny in its own right. But so I do have a movie that I want to do, but I feel like we need a big fat popular classic. Uh, we're due for it. And it's completely the other end of the spectrum compared to like a super troopers. Um, I did mention this actor on this podcast, and he might be the most mentioned actor in the history of just like the movies. <laughs> Mel. So we're going for the big one. And we're doing Braveheart. Oh, okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah. All right. It, dude, and now I forgot to mention how, how much I thought it, it, if like there's an alternate. You universe, got Mel. You knew it. Yeah, where Mel Gibson was in this movie for some reason. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's it's him. Fighting with his wife, and it's uh, a domestic dispute, and these guys have to show up. <laughs> and Mel Gibson just like beats all their asses. Or is like his South Park appearance, like he's running around in tighties, just like doing crazy stuff, like grabbing his, his own nipples. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so Brave. I haven't seen Braveheart in a long time. Oh, but... same, same here. Yeah. And it's going to be long, so. Yes, is... it is. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I didn't really mention either the whole, like, connection with the marijuana subculture, but that's not really my scene. So, I mean, I know that's, yeah. like, a big part of this movie and a big part of the fan base. And, you know, I'm just going to say that's not really for me. I thought maybe I, about, like, doing this podcast, like, after being, like, a tumbler deep in some bourbon. But <laughs> I don't know. I thought we did a pretty um, good job anyway. But okay, I do, so- too. I'm, I'm glad you picked Super Troopers. I thought it was fun. Um so let's just get completely wrecked and do Braveheart. <laughs> no, uh, no, but that, yeah, it's that's gonna be a big one. It's gonna be sort of like the Gladiator podcast, you know, or uh, like I think the deepest we got might have been Fight Club. That could be me thinking that, um, or Godfather. I think we got really into it. We we sort of uh, I think flexed a bit in terms of like that we can be serious, you know, mm. um, but. I mean, what else do you say about Braveheart? I mean, we're going to talk about it for a long time, but 
uh, I assume you're cool with the pick. Yeah, for sure. And plus, I don't think we've really done a movie like set that far back either. Like we're talking about like fucking medieval violence. Oh well, yeah. Gladiator, Gladiator, Gladiator. before that. Jesus, you yeah. just said it. Um, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about yeah around Jesus's time. Mm. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, medieval for for Braveheart um, should be a nice revisit. We'll see uh, how that goes down, and we'll see what we come up with because it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of stuff left on the chopping block, I'm sure. Uh, but we're we're not gonna have uh, a lack for for content or material to talk about with that movie. So, um, but uh, anything else, uh, Mike? Uh, before we head on out of here, nah, man, take us home. All right, thanks everybody for listening and uh, being a part of what we got going on here just like the movies uh, make sure you do subscribe on your preferred platform you may have noticed uh, sort of Anchor has become uh, under more of publicly under the Spotify umbrella so wherever you get the pod it's it's on all major apps if you don't mind rating us but of course just make sure you follow and subscribe it's free we try to pop these out every two weeks for you and hope you're enjoying them I appreciate everyone who gave me feedback if you saw me at Star Wars Celebration you happen to listen to both TRB and just like the movies me and Mike really appreciate that but we will get get ready get your rewatches on or get ready to get a bit serious as we tackle uh, an unfunny movie in Braveheart but we hope everyone is well out there and we'll see you next time right here on just like the movies so as always be kind rewind relax and we'll see you around mother of God